Everyone, it is good to be with you this morning. Uh, it's a real shame that we're not meeting, echoing the words of uh, Jono and Josh this morning. Uh, I'm one of the student ministers here and it's, it, it is uh, good to be meeting even though we're not together in a room uh, where I can see your faces, even though they would be masked this morning. Uh, I wanna start by asking you a question. Who do you serve? It's an odd question, I know. But think about it for a moment. There aren't many uh, examples of people walking around saying, I live to please other people. That'd be weird, right? But I reckon we all live to please someone. Maybe it's your family, your mum or your dad, a son or daughter, grandchildren even. Maybe it's a teacher. I hope I've done enough to please the person I'm writing, that's writing a report on me or marking a test that I did. Maybe it's just a friend or a group of friends. If I please them, everything will be good. I'll be happy. And of course, ultimately, the person I want to please, that I only ever want to please, uh, seemingly, is me. If we examine our lives, I mean really look carefully. A lot of the time, we want to, I want to, selfishly put myself first and please myself. The problem with living like that is that it's hard. You're never quite sure that you've done enough and there's always more to do. The goalposts keep moving further backwards. But this morning we hear a call to the only service that won't exhaust you. Living to please our God, the creator, the sustainer of all things. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 claims that uh, you can live in a way that fully pleases God. How you might ask? Well, the answer is right here. It's faith. A life that pleases God is a life that trusts Him, uh, and specifically, as we'll see next week in Hebrews 12, a life that trusts His Son, our Lord Jesus. Now, Hebrews was written to those who had put their trust in Jesus as their King and Saviour, and that He'll come again to bring them home for eternity. But they're in danger of walking away from faith in Jesus. And this letter tells people like that to keep going, to keep persevering. We see that in chapter 10, verse 35. Uh, it says, so do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You, will, you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. This letter is to encourage us to keep going by faith every day in Christ. Helpfully, chapter 11 does actually define faith for us in verse 1. It says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we don't see. That's the definition. The definition has two parts. Faith is certain that God will do what he has promised and it's worth enduring things in this world because of what God has promised us. Faith is not just knowing God's promise to us in Jesus, that is his forgiveness and hope is true but knowing what is promised is better than anything else we could ever hope for. Faith is certain that God will do what he has promised. Why should we put this trust in what God says to us? Because we know the power of his word to achieve what he wants, as we read in 11 verse 3. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen uh, so that what is seen was not made of, out of what is visible. The word of God spoken to us in the gospel in Jesus Christ is the same word that made our world. 
everything that we can touch and taste and smell and experience and enjoy. He spoke and it happened. It was created. What is concrete and tangible came from the unseen, powerful voice of the God of our universe. And this is where faith's understanding challenges the, I guess, the reasonableness of our worldview. All human explanations come from what we can see and taste and smell and touch. What is made, uh, what is made must come from what is seen. But now, says faith, in verse 3, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was, made, uh, was not made out of what is visible. And even the faith to understand that, come, that comes from this very word that created all things, faith knows the only way to rightly understand this world is by the same world word that brought it into being. So why be certain that God will do what he has promised? Because of the sure confidence that by the same word, he made everything. But in the Bible's account of the world, we move from creation of all things to the destruction of all the good things that God made. If we look back to Genesis, we see the story of Adam and Eve. And it is a story of people who responded to the word of their God with faithlessness. A failure to trust God would do as he had promised rather than enjoy his pleasure. They experienced everything that is completely opposite to that pain and death and judgment. They set the pattern that we now follow. Uh, and God speaks of his promise. And what do we then do? Well, we reject it, don't we? From this, we come to a second aspect of being certain God will do what he has promised. The first is certain by his word, he formed the world. And second, certain he will judge the world because we reject him and what he has said to us. Having faith takes seriously the announcement of God's judgment, that it's surely coming. Uh, you see that in verse 7 of our passage today, in the example of Noah's faith. All Noah had to, had to go on was the word of his God. In Genesis 6.13, So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to, to, to destroy both them and the earth. Two choices, faith in the culture that is around us or in the promises of God. Uh, he says, I will judge and I have made plans to save you. So in Hebrews chapter, uh, chapter 11, verse 7, by faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. Noah trusted God and took him at his word. So the question is, how much more should we respond with faith to the promise of the final word of God in the Lord Jesus? To be certain God will do as he has promised is to believe God and not our culture or what we hear every day that finds its way, unfortunately, into our Christian communities. We see it everywhere. We are to be those who heed the word of God, knowing that he will do what he has promised. And why shouldn't we? He has never not come through on his promises. We see so much evidence of this all the way through the Bible. We hear the promise of Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. 
I will judge, but I have made plans to save you in my son, Jesus. So we take shelter in him as Noah did in the ark. Uh, in the storm of God, and the storm of God's judgment falls on him, not on us. So first, faith understand God uh, made all things and so he is king. Second, considering our rebellion, faith takes seriously God's spoken and sure promise of judgment. And third, faith heeds God's call to abandon our plans for God's plans, as we see with Abraham in verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went. Genesis 12, where this call is made, provides a contrast to what, what precedes it in Genesis 11. The Tower of Babel, I spoke on this a few weeks ago at youth group actually, epitomizes humanity's plans. The way that we can think uh, that we can match God with our tiny minds and massive egos, uh, but most of all, our distrustful nature. Abraham came from a somewhat sophisticated society. He was called to abandon his own plans and build his own future and to trust God's promise. God's plan is to bring life. Faith is shown as Abraham displays in verses 8 to 10 is to be certain God will do as he has promised out of thin air. As Abraham experiences a little bit of God's promise being fulfilled, he sees it out of the barrenness of Sarah in verses 11 and 12 and life out of death in verse 19. In seeing Abraham here, how much more certain should we be that God will do as he has promised? Abraham, figuratively speaking, saw Isaac come back from the dead, but we are those who know Jesus Christ dead and buried, but made alive according to the promise of God. For our sin, according to God's promise, he was buried and then he was raised on the third day. How should we who know God's plans bring life from de- to bring life from death, not only for Jesus, but for all who trust him by faith respond? Well, we need to do so faithfully, by abandoning our our plans, which lead to death and to judgment. It's the same call we see all the way through the examples in this chapter. You see it in Moses' experience in the Passover in verse 28. You see it again uh, with the great victories over all who would come against God's purposes in verse 29 and 30. God's spoken plan promised to bring about life. It goes through judgment and no enemy has a chance to stand against it. The author is saying, keep going by faith. This is what he's saying, keep going. Abandon your plans that will lead nowhere. Instead, trust in God's plan. The author wants us to know uh, faith's power. Look at verse 32, I'll read it for us. What more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David and Samuel and the prophets, who, uh, who, uh, who through faith conquered king- kingdoms, administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and, whose, uh, who, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. 
Faith in God's Word is really powerful. Uh, People listening to this live stream this morning will be able to think of examples. It might look as simple as answered prayer in your life or changes in in your heart or behaviour or speech, Uh, miracles even, people coming to faith in the Lord Jesus. These are all examples of how powerful God's promises are. Faith in God's Word is powerful and I really think a lot of the time uh, we don't treat it the way that we should, with joy. But if, the, if this story finished here, it would only be half of that story, uh, kind of like a distorted story um, that some Christian communities, unfortunately, get stuck in. I don't know about uh, you, but have you ever spoken to or heard someone uh, say, say of many of the uh, prosperity gospel preachers, Uh, something on the lines of, have enough faith and God will bless you with everything that you want or need. Uh, This is detaching faith from God's word and his promises. If I have enough faith, I can do anything, anytime. Uh, Joel Osteen, uh, he's a popular US pastor who has uh, written books such as Your Best Life Now and many others. You can find boxes of them at Kurong. Please don't buy it. Uh, Speaking of the life of faith. Uh, he takes a verse like Colossians chapter 3, verse 2, set your heart on things above, uh, i.e. on Jesus, and says, well, that's speaking of the higher things in life, things like success or massive finances. To set your heart on things above is to expect circumstances to change to benefit yourself. Faith, he says, leads to your best life right now. I don't mean to to dump on on our friend Joel, but that is not the faith that the Bible speaks of. The original readers of this letter knew this. If you have a Bible, uh, look at chapter 10, verse 32. Just flip back a page. See what happened when they chose faith in Jesus? Suffering. And it's true today. It's a hard pill to swallow, but it is true. Faith doesn't equal your best life now. It simply does not. Uh, Watch the balance of testimony the author provides from the verses of verse 32 to 35. uh, And verse 32, and then in verse 35, he continues. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about, went about it in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted and mistreated. Not good. And yet, they were all commended for their faith. These are not the stories of faith failing, uh, but of, uh, of those victorious in the Son, the Lord Jesus. So why would we want to live this life of suffering faith? The answer because they knew their best life was not here and now, but in the kingdom to come. Faith is sure it's, uh, it's worth in, this world is worth enduring because of the reward that has been promised to us. Uh, verses 13 to 16. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things that, that they were promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on this earth. People who say such things show that they are looking 
for somewhere to call their own. If they had been thinking of the country that they had left, they would have had an opportunity to go back. Instead, they were longing for somewhere better, a heavenly country. So, three aspects of this future-focused faith. Faith welcomes God's promise from far away. Abraham shows us this in verses 8 to 10. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as, an, as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Faith welcomes that hope. It's a call to look forward to the future. It's hard for us because we gravitate to what we know, something that's familiar. Uh, it is hard not for what is here and now to become our hope rather than what is promised and what we can't see and taste and smell and touch. But the church, uh, but the, church the community of faith, is to be in the habit of welcoming that unseen hope. We should be getting super familiar with it. We have to do that uh, if we are to keep going and keep persevering. Um, John Chapman said once, we should contemplate the new creation where we will be like Jesus. What a joy that will be. I will be perfectly in God's image, the glory which will be revealed. It will so dwarf our life here that it will take on the significance of our first day of kindergarten. We need to be a group of people that look at this life as small and almost insignificant in comparison to looking to the life to come with great joy. Again, it is the word of God that will enable us to welcome our hope from far away. It will fill our hearts with this future hope and give detail, familiarity to this unseen blob in the distance, seeing who we will be as God's people with our great God in eternity forever. The life of faith doesn't regard the now and tangible as its anchor, but the future and what is intangible because we are certain God will do as he has promised and we are, it's sure that we, it's worth enduring because of what is promised. Two, because we're looking for a better country, we live as aliens and strangers in this one. Two pictures uh, from our examples. Verse seven, Noah, knowing God's judgment was to fall on the world uh, he knew and could see, forsook that world to claim an inheritance that would replace it. In verse 31, Rahab, seeing the relentless purposes of God unfold before her, left her people behind to line up with God's people. Uh, what was familiar to her became incredibly unfamiliar. And I guess this is hugely uh, compelling to the people who were first reading this letter, who were tempting, tempted to stop following Jesus uh, and go back to what was familiar to them, and that was Judaism. They'd be welcomed back by their people. It's hard to forsake this world for the one to come. The life of faith doesn't throw away our confident hope because we know it'll be richly rewarded. We know Jesus is coming soon and he won't delay. So we serve him, not our families or our teachers or our sons or daughters or grandchildren or even our friends and ourselves as tempting as it might be. And three, longing for a better country. As we tenuously hold to the present and increasingly gain clarity to befriend the hope from afar, we grow to long for it. Do we long for our future hope being with God 
free from sin by the blood of his son. Uh, Our names are written in heaven, in his place. We belong there and he's coming soon. His reward, our reward is with him. Do we long for the hope of Jesus? As we look closely at verse 21, we see faith that grows in longing for the promised future. Verse 21, Jacob, as Jacob reaches the end of his life in the present and seen, he doesn't speak of things that he regrets or things that he's done that were wrong, even though there were plenty along the way. No, he doesn't focus on that because he knows God's gracious faithfulness has outlasted it all. Here is a man uh, who dies as he lived, trusting the promise of his God, trusting that beyond even death, there is a better place. Dying as he does in Egypt, as an alien and a stranger, he's on a bed and he won't leave, and he sees in the distance the promise and welcomes it. Here is a man finishing uh, the race and passing that faith on to his sons. And as we look at Jacob's dying faith, we must ask ourselves, how much more do we have cause to live and die by faith, given that we uh, live having seen the glory of the cross, after we have seen what he has done for us? As I finish, uh, I just want to end on this. I went to a funeral many years ago when I was uh, in my first year of training with MTS uh, before I went to college for a woman who had faithfully served the people and God at the church that we were at for many, many years. She was in the final uh, grips of aggressive stage four cancer. And when I went to visit her and her Siberian Husky, which I must admit was a massive draw, about a fortnight before she died, Uh, This was the first time I'd done kind of one of these pastoral type visits and I was really nervous. Uh, What will I say that will interest her or something that is is poignant, uh, especially at this late stage in her life? It turns out I shouldn't have been worried because she did all the talking and she kept saying that her life lived in faith and service to her Lord uh, was the best thing that she had ever done. I was blown away. In those final days and weeks, she was saying with Paul, as she wrote in Philippians 1, to die is gain. Dying was only going to bring her face to face with her creator, the God who died for her. And she had a place waiting for her, as, does, as do all of us. I pray that for us as a church here at St Andrews, this will be our testimony too. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for the book of Hebrews and thank you for what we have learned Uh, this morning. We just ask that you would help us to look to the hope that we have, uh, the reward that is waiting for us. That even through uh, right now at the moment in lockdown and struggling with uh, being lonely and cut off, that you would help us to look forward to that more and more every day. Amen.